I've never been one to chase records and sort of the mantra and, and one of the reasons why I stand on the starting line of a hundred mile race so calm um, and not nervous you know I used to be a very nervous racer when I was uh, running track um, is because you know my, my number one goal is to, to run a smart patient race and finish with nothing left and to me the time and the place simply fall into place if, if I follow that mantra Inspiration and information for athletes by athletes. Welcome to a special Leadville race recap episode of the Goo Energy Labs Pinnacle Podcast featuring Rob Krar, who is in the top 20 of the Leadville 100 mountain bike race and the overall winner by an insane margin in the running race. Rob Krar was actually the first guest we ever had on the Pinnacle, and I'm super happy to say that when I listened to the show last night as a refresher, this episode really holds up. If you haven't, go way back to the Pinnacle archive, check it out. Rob, welcome. It is great to have you back at the Pinnacle. Eldon, Yuri, it's a pleasure to be back. I can't believe it's been um, now over two years since the last time we chatted. Time flies. I know, that's nuts. And I'm, of course, Eldon, also known as Fatty, and I was at Leadville for both the mountain bike and running editions of the 2018 Leadville 100, though, of course, I was nowhere near Rob for any of it. <laughs> I crewed for my stepdaughter during the running race and for the 22nd year in a row raced the mountain bike race, and I should say, Yuri Hauswald, the co-host of this show, saved my mental bacon and got me out of survival mode and back into race mode during the Leadville 100 this year. Thank you, Yuri. And also, how are you doing, man? I am doing really well. Thanks. Uh, I appreciate you acknowledging uh, my help out there on course. It's something actually that I love the most about being out there. Um, I've been in that corner now for five years and, mm. and just helping people with nutrition or motivation or hydration or whatever it is, um, is, is super rewarding. So yeah, like you said, I was uh, at the mountain bike race, but not at the run like you and got to you know, see Rob ride to 14th place, which is rad. Um, so Rob, more than anything, we just want to, you know, to take us through your, your prep preparation and execution for both races, the mountain bike and the run. Um, but first fatty and I have a few, uh, stage setting questions as well as stuff we just got to know. And, um, this is going to go all the way back to 2016 when we first met you, um, but you had a pretty se serious knee injury. So I'm wondering if you could sort of take us through what that was and how you are doing now. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I'll try and make a long story relatively short. Uh, last July, I was up in Canada racing the North Face Endurance Challenge race at Blue Mountain Ski Resort, which was really cool because that's where I, I grew up learning how to ski. And about a mile from the finish of the 50K race, uh, I just took one bad step. And it was uh, <clears throat> very random. And I hyperextended my knee, um, dislocated my patella, sort of just instantly out and back in. <clears throat> I ended up with two rather large potholes uh, in my knee. One was on the underside of my patella. The other was corresponding um, location on, <clears throat> on my fem femur head. So, you know, any kind of uh, cartilage 
injury is bad news, let alone having two dime-sized potholes in your knee. Uh, so I had surgery 13 days later. Uh, surgery consisted of uh, cartilage, or sorry, cadaver cartilage. Um, it almost looked like minced garlic was about the size of it. And they packed the potholes with the with the cadaver cartilage, put some type of medicinal glue over the top, and then it's just a long, uh, long and tough recovery process as the body um, makes that cartilage its own. Uh, a lot of time, non weight bearing, and it's a relatively new proce- uh, procedure too. So the difficult part was there's no well established protocol, especially for. Uh, an athlete um, hoping to run a hundred miles uh, again sometime in the future. So long story short, it was a really, really tough, you know, first four or five months. Uh, the fall was tough, started seeing some light in January and it's been nothing but positive since about January, but it's a very, very slow positive um, where being, you know, a stubborn athlete, I want to be right back at it right away. Um, so it took mm. a lot of, a lot of patience, um, a lot of time on the treadmill and then, you know, my, my initial plan was it, it just focus on the running season. Uh, but about six weeks before um, I ended up racing the Leadville mountain bike, my left Achilles flared up. So I jumped on the bike um, just to, to get over that, that little niggle. Um, but I was enjoying it. And importantly, in two weeks of riding, um, I had grown my, my quad muscle, my quad had atrophied just a ton um, during the recovery process. And in two weeks of riding, I could visibly see a difference. So I thought it would be uh, the right thing to do to, to continue to ride in combination with my running. And then, you know, Leadville a mountain bike sort of just fit into the schedule really well. And I thought I was one and done in 2016, but I had <laughs> such a blast. Um, I was excited to, uh, to head back and, and give it another go. Wasn't it an injury in 2016? So was there an injury prior to you doing Leadville in 2016 that had you on the bike more that made you want to do that year as well? Or am I imagining something here? You're not imagining. No, I was coming off a, a sacral stress fracture in 2016. So um, oh I spent, yeah, I spent, a, I did a lot more riding in 2016 than I did before this year's race. But it, yeah, indeed, it was, um, it was rehabbing from an injury that had me on the bike. And then the opportunity to race Leadville, um, I couldn't pass it up that year. So for endurance racers like yourself, running endurance racers specifically, is this volume and frequency of injury a pretty much normal or is this uh, did you have uh, just a really bad run of luck? Uh I would say it's across the board. I mean, mm. when you're you know to train and race for 100 miles, there's I don't I don't think it matters who you are. You're definitely sort of threading the needle in terms of Um, risk versus reward and uh, an injury. Um, My injury in 2016 was the result of uh, probably a number of years of running with a slightly compensated stride without even knowing it. Um, And my injury this past year, the the, the knee injury that required surgery was, um, you know, in my opinion, just just bad luck. It was a single bad step um, Mm -hmm. um, in movement. So uh, yeah, it's a it's a fine it's a fine art, um, trying to race a hundred miles by foot in terms of keeping healthy, but also, uh, training hard enough to, to reach your potential. 
so what kind of uh, – tell us what you've been doing for the last couple of years that led up to this really amazing pair of races this last couple of weeks. You know, uh, 2016 um, – let's see, I raced Leadville. <clears throat> the start of 2017 started out really well. Um, I raced in Australia, 100K, finished second there, uh, raced in Norway a couple weeks later. Um, but it wasn't soon after that until I had that injury. <clears throat> so it's had its ups, but it's definitely had probably its uh, more more downs and ups the past two years. Um, and then, um, yeah, just reflecting back on the injury, you know, it, it, it really is amazing whether it's luck or, or whether you, you dig your, yourself uh, a hole to begin with. Um, I've never had a, an injury or a setback in my life that I haven't returned that little bit stronger and wiser for. And, you know, there was definitely a time last fall when I was at my lowest struggling to sort of see the light after surgery where I, I, I definitely began to doubt, you know, that, that, that mantra. Um, but you know, racing the Leadville mountain bike, then following it up with the run a week later, um, it just, it just reinforced that. Um, I think without, struggle and adversity, um, for myself, I, I'm never going to reach my potential. So it's funny how things happen. I, I wouldn't wish it upon myself or anybody. Um, but then it's, I wonder, well, without that setback, uh, without that one unfortunate, unlucky step, would I be chatting with you today? Um, so it's funny how it all works. It's a, it's a bit of a mystery. Rob, speaking of training, you know, I'm curious how much riding training versus running training were you doing in the months leading up to uh, your two Leadville races? So my my first mountain bike ride of the year, uh, or first, yeah, it was a mountain bike ride. Uh, my first ride of the year was six weeks before the Leadville race. Um, oh my! God. Really? Yeah, and that and and again, that was just... mountain bikers beware. <laughs> Yeah. That was, uh, you know, my left Achilles flared up and I, I wanted to take some, uh, maybe, uh, a week off from running. So I hopped on the mountain bike and I went for, I went for a 40 mile ride and I felt really, really good. And, uh, and then I borrowed my friend's road bike and maybe, maybe part of the story is the fact that, uh, <clears throat> my amazing, wonderful partner in life, Christina allowed me to, to purchase a new road bike. Um, and that got me excited and it's such a different world of riding than, than the bike I was borrowing. So that got me excited. So things just kind of snowballed and, uh, I was really enjoying the riding and my running came, came along. So I started daydreaming about the, uh, the Leadville mountain bike run combo. You know, you're being, I don't know if you're being purposely vague, but like number of hours riding, I'm really curious, like, are you logging? I know it was only a six week period, but are you doing, you know, 10 to 12 hours on the bike? Are you doing, you know, 18 hour weeks? Just curious. Oh man, I am not a numbers guy. Um, Got it. You could, I, I did post every ride I did on Strava. So that's uh, a resource to, <laughs> to check out. But it was, it was, I think I rode somewhere between two to four times a week for, you know, the, the five or six weeks before Leadville. I had a couple really great rides. I did the the smart roll ride to outdoor retailer from Steamboat Springs to to Denver. So that was four pretty solid days. Hmm. I hit some group rides here in Flagstaff. So I got a couple hundred mile rides in. Um, and that's something I really wanted to do if I was going to um, line up in Leadville just to have that confidence of, of covering that distance. Um, but I couldn't, I couldn't, um, I couldn't tell you the numbers. Let's flash forward a little bit. And we're not going to talk 
too much about the the bike ride part itself. Um, while I mean, you certainly were fast. I mean, you were. Uh, well, I know you were top twenty, but I'm not. I don't know exactly what your fourteenth. Fourteenth. Um, and what was your finish time? Um, uh, seven oh seven, I believe, or seven oh eight. Mm-hmm. Or so, 709. So within th- within three or four minutes of uh, the last time that you did it. Yeah, I was 705 in yeah, 2006. So, so it was really close. I mean, very, very close. So you didn't at all hold back this time, to uh, bearing in mind that you were going to be doing the run exactly one week later. <laughs> yeah. So so here's a story. I, I left Flagstaff um, a couple days before the mountain bike ride with gear to both, um, ride and run, but I hadn't, I hadn't decided for sure if I would do the run. Um, my, my lead up to the whole Leadville experience was, was not ideal training. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the idea of lining up for a hundred mile race when, when you're not fully prepared is, um, almost foolish. You're almost welcoming injury. So I wanted to see how the mountain bike ride went, um, how I did physically, how I was feeling mentally, how I felt, um, in terms of recovery in the day or two after. So it wasn't until Tuesday that, um, I actually, um, officially committed to the run. Um, uh, so that was, um, and, and, you know, I had my crew sort of on standby. I told them the week before that there was a possibility, but more than likely I would not. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, the, the ride just went better than expected. And I had a really strong day out there. And, and for me, just single big days like that do a ton for my fitness. <clears throat> so it gave me a lot of confidence coming off of it that, um, you know, I wasn't taking too much risk standing on the starting line of the running race a week later. Yuri, I don't even know what to do with this information. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I know, right? It just doesn't compute. It's, yeah. You know, you're a full on corner case, right? That most people <laughs> plan and train and taper for the Leadville Trail 100 running race. I mean, it is the thing that occupies like 80% of their waking thoughts. (laughs) For a whole year. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I, I haven't been doing it forever, but I feel like I I have, you know, six, seven years of experience in the ultras. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I also have a couple other previous running lives full of mistakes um, that I've gleaned information and, and, uh, bookmarked, um, to try and not make similar mistakes. So I, you know, I don't want it to sound like I'm, I'm winging it when, when I line up for the race of the mountain bike or the run. Um, but I, I do sort of, you know, I sort of love keeping it sort of, uh, freewheeling it and letting the races speak to me and not committing too early and not, not, um, you know, succumbing to outside pressure as to which races I do. It keeps it, yeah, it keeps it exciting. Um, and when I decided to do the mountain bike race, um, you know, I dialed it in. I was very focused, mm-hmm. uh, you know got my nutrition down, my strategy. Uh, I, di- I didn't take it lightly. Um, I, it's just uh, more of a last minute decision. Wow. That is, that is amazing. And I, I think, you know, for me, you know, as someone who has never really done anything in the way of ultra running, the, the ability to leverage your, your admitted decades of experience uh, in ultra running and convert it into a yes. I'm going to on less than a week's notice commit to the Leadville Trail 100, which is an incredibly difficult, uh, an incredibly difficult ultra, 
even in the world of ultra runs. I, I, I'd love to get your sense of or your description of the Leadville Trail 100 running course, which is a different course that people need to know than the mountain bike course. I don't think everyone knows that. And maybe how it compares in your head to other ultras that you've done. The Leadville Trail Run is is a very challenging race. Um, and it's unique, both uh, the ride and the run, and the fact that um, the vast majority, you know, close to 95, if not 98% of the race is above 10,000 feet. Um, I live in Flagstaff, Arizona, so I live at 7,000 feet and pretty much every, every running step I take is above that. So, um, for me, it's almost an advantage. Um, I enjoy running races at altitude in terms of the amount of climbing, um, it's, it's a decent uh, amount, but it certainly doesn't stack up to other races like uh, the Hard Rock 100 in Colorado um, or even the UTMB, which is um, uh, sort of the Super Bowl of, of running in, in Europe. Um, but it's challenging. Uh, the difference in the run is that, you know, when you get to that turnaround um, in, the, in the bike race, you, you head up to Columbine and you turn around at the top. But in the running race, you go up and over Hope Pass. So you, you the, the toughest climb of the day is at, at, you know, about mile 45 to 48. And mm-hmm. then you drop right back down the other side and lose all that elevation gain. So when you hit the turnaround at 50 miles, um, the very first thing you have to do is, is climb a couple thousand feet to the top of Hope Pass again. Um, so it's certainly a, a challenging part. And just like the mountain bike race, it's an out and back. So um, there's a lot of people to pass on the way back on a on a true single track trail um, at a time when everybody's working really hard and feels really tired. Uh, so that's an added challenge. Um, mm-hmm. But there's also a lot of really smooth, um, relatively flat running. And, you know, I would describe myself as a rhythm runner. Um, I, I like those long, lonely stretches where I can almost fall into uh, fall into a zone where I can um, not think about anything but everything at the same time. And uh, that was certainly my strongest uh, stretch of the race. Uh, during the running race was about a 15-mile stretch of, of relatively flat rolling um, two track. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's a, it's a very challenging race. I think it's it, on average, it's only about a 50%, uh, finisher rate, uh, for Leadville. So uh, going back to the period between when you did the mountain bike race and the running race, um, you know, just one week, you know, not even truly one week, you had Sunday through Friday <laughs> to, yeah. to prepare for the, for the running race. On what day did you say, yeah, I'm doing the running race for sure, and then what did you do? Yeah, so, you know, when I when I was on the starting line at, at 6.30 a.m. for that mountain bike race, um, <clears throat> the run a week later wasn't was, was not a thought in my head. You know, I was focused on giving 100% um, over the next, hopefully, seven hours of mountain bike riding. Um, I wanted to get everything I could, and, and I did. I had an amazing race. And you know one of the really cool things about both times I've done it, 2016 and 2018, um, compared to running, is um, I was really, really tired and fatigued that evening. But I was walking around physically as if I hadn't done anything. You know, a normal stride, nothing was sore. Yep. And it's such a contrast to running. I mean, even <laughs> a even a 50K race 
which seems short compared to a hundred miles, you know, I'm broken for a couple days. Um, yeah. it'll be, it'll be two to three days before I'm walking with a normal stride. So I really appreciate that about riding. And, and it's one of the reasons why I think I'm going to be incorporating it even more into my running training as that high end aerobic activity with, with really zero, zero pounding. Um, so it was great. I, I, I felt great that night. I recovered really well. I took care of my body, ate a lot of calories. Um, next morning did, uh, a fun, easy shakeout ride, um, with Yuri and a couple of the other, uh, goo crew. And that evening I actually went for a six, six mile run on the boulevard out and back. And that was my first kind of clue to, uh, um, to the idea of, of, of doing the run. I, I was tired. I went really slow, but I felt good and I felt happy. And I, I I was running into the sunset and the energy was, energy was flowing. Um, so I, I think Sunday night I decided to give myself one or two more days, one or two more runs. And, um, Monday's run, another short run. I actually did not feel good. And then Tuesday was really, I, I had to pull the trigger. You know, I, I had <laughs> three three crew members and flag staff that still needed to get up to Leadville. So I said, I told myself, I'm going to do one more run. I'm going to do an out and back on the boulevard. And uh, before I finish that run, I'm going to I'm gonna decide whether I'm racing Leadville or not. And uh, man, I just had a magical, <laughs> magical <laughs> six miles. It's like I was floating out there. So um, uh, at that point, it was a no brainer. I needed to uh, step up and stand in the starting line at 4 a.m. on Saturday. Man, that's that's an amazing lead in just to, yeah. to be so in tune with your, you know, physical health and your mental health and kind of like having a good day, then a bad day. And then that third day, just like it all coming together and, and steering you in the right to, direction to, to make that decision to toe the line. Um, that's incredible, man, to be that just like with yourself and, and understanding yourself. I mean, it makes sense. I totally get it. Um, I'm not going to be cliche and ask you, you know, were you hoping to set a run record when you towed the line in 2018 for the, the Leadville 100? Because um, before we got on, you spoke a little bit about your mind mantra. And I'm wondering if you can share that with folks, because um, I think it's really important for people to realize that, um, you know, you, every time you tow the line, you're not necessarily going to have uh, the greatest day or set a record. No, I would say, uh, you know, maybe two months ago, I was at uh paragon athletics where which is where i do most of my prehab and and strength and conditioning my good friend ryan who is a puzzle piece of this whole whole deal of getting me healthy after that surgery we're kind of laying around daydreaming and i remember saying you know that the absolute best case scenario would be if i could run leadville and uh compete well and and possibly win uh, but in my mind, um, it, that would have meant running, you know, uh, 1630 or a 17 hour race. Um, so starting Leadville at 4am on Saturday, uh, pretty quickly, I, I, I felt confident that I was having one of those days, you know, one of those magical rare days. Um, I've never been one to chase records and, sort of the mantra and and one of the reasons why I stand on the starting line of a hundred mile race so calm um, and not nervous. You know, I used to be a very nervous racer when I was uh, running track um, is because, you know, my, my number one goal is to, to run a smart patient race and finish with nothing left. And to me, the time and the place simply fall into place. If, if I follow that mantra, 
Um, so the record was never on my mind. I got a couple sort of uh, whispers, um, overheard some 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 people mention that I was running fast. Uh, not once did my crew tell me I was running so fast or I was close to the record. I never asked them to. And, you know, my, my crew consisted of two of the three have uh, crewed me at all, all three of my Western States. So we just have a, a great connection. They're great friends. And, mm-hmm. um, they knew that telling me that would probably be only be a detriment, um, and be a burden, um, and possibly hurt my race. Um, so I love that too. You know, it was a team effort out there. Uh, and yeah, you know, I finished in 15, 52, I was about 10 minutes off the course record. Um, but I don't think there was anything else I could have given, um, during that hundred miles. So I'm, I'm a hundred percent happy with no regrets. I really love that your crew, uh, understands you so well that that was something that they didn't even bring up. Uh, having a crew like that for such an intense and long effort uh, has got to be, I mean, almost immeasurably valuable to you. It really is. And it, it, it's funny because if you were a, a fly in the wall at these aid stations, um, you'd probably find it pretty amusing because there's there's almost no word spoken. Um, you know, I'm in the zone. Uh, they have my gear laid out exactly as I asked them to. Mm-hmm. I pick and choose what I want. They make sure I'm taking uh, what I need. Uh, for example, heading up and over Hope Pass, there was some weather coming in, so they made sure I had my arm warmers and warm hat and jacket on. Um, but man, it's just a it's a it's a calm energy uh of of faces that i love and when you're sort of in a in a deep dark desperate situation like like you often feel mm-hmm. deep into a hundred mile race it's um you know i look forward to uh to seeing them every every opportunity i have during the race hey hey rob i'm I'm curious if you could tell us maybe a, a little bit more about them because fatty both you and i have done 24-hour solo racing and know the importance of a solid crew. Oh, yeah. Um, so are they family? Are they people you train with? I'm just curious because it, like you say, I mean, they, they are your family out yeah. there, but not blood, you know? Yeah. But um, how, how did you select them? Yeah, I'd love to tell you about them. Um, first and foremost is my my wife, Christina, um, my rock. <laughs> Simply this, all of this would, would not be happening without her in my life. So she's crewed um, all my 100 mile races except one. And second is Erin Strout. Uh, I've known Erin since 2009. Um, she's a writer, writes for Runner's World. She has crewed, uh, she's never crewed me in a 100 miler that I, I haven't won. So I think she's my lucky charm. Mm-hmm. Um, she's, she's crewed uh, 400 milers now. And uh, 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 friend Buck Blankenship, um, who done some training with and we also both did a couple 50k races together traveled together earlier this year and i helped crew him at his uh 100 mile race earlier this year at bryce canyon which he won by i think three hours um so pretty pretty amazing athlete in in itself and he also paced me the last 24 24 miles of the race and what's interesting is that I told him the night before that um, I asked him if he would be be open to to pacing me, but I wasn't sure if I wanted uh, a pacer or not. So I saw him at with 27 miles to go, and I said, "Hey, um, I'd love it if you could jump in." Um, and he he was he was on board. So three miles later, he jumped in at outward bound and helped uh, pace me into the finish line. 
for our listeners' sake, and I, I, I appreciate that uh, that records weren't really part of your mental or emotional calculus for this, but you have won the Leadville Trail 100 once before, at which point you set the second fastest time that has ever been set for this race. And so when you came in, I mean, there was there were obviously some expectations. And it and I mean, now you are you beat the second place person, uh, second place record, which was your own for once again. <laughs> now you instead of being uh, 20 minutes behind the extraordinary uh, record holding time of 15 minutes, or, I'm sorry, 15 hours, 42 minutes. Uh, and you were 15 hours and 51 minutes. Is that I think correct? That sounds right. Yep. Yeah, so a nine minute a nine minute gap, you know, plus or minus uh, a handful of seconds. So I mean, you really are within uh, an extraordinarily close distance with second place runner coming in. I think close to two hours behind you. So that's where you were for this race, you know, so that people understand the scope of exactly how fast you did this race that you weren't sure you were going to do even a week before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I appreciate your modesty, but, you know, I'm going to boast on your behalf. That was that, you know, the numbers tell a story of someone who is remarkably fit and had good luck and a great day with a great crew. So um, I, I got to say, with that in mind, are you thinking of take, coming back next year and taking <laughs> another swing at it? You, do you see the nine minutes in your head? Oh man, I have, I have so clearly learned to say never say never. Um, right. I, I have absolutely no plans, but that doesn't say much because I don't have a single race, whether it's running or riding on the calendar for next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I would have loved to have, have been under seven hours this year and, um, maybe on, on a more perfect day when I had, you know, one of the biggest challenges of the race is essentially from mile 40 to the finish line. I was, I was riding all alone. I passed a couple of people, but, um, there's so many stretches on that second half where riding with a group would have been hugely advantageous, but it just wasn't in the cards. There was no way I was catching the guy in front of me. I was already redlining and he had a couple, couple minutes on me. And, uh, you know, the next place behind me was, was maybe four or five minutes. So it wasn't worth stopping and waiting. Um, so yeah, you know, I, Man, I love riding. I love the atmosphere. It's such a great group of people. Um, if I came back, I definitely want to want to take a stab at at riding on under seven hours. So, who knows? We'll see. So you're saying you may come back and do the double again next year? Oh, I didn't say uh-huh. that. <laughs> you just put words in his mouth, Eldon. But I like it. You were talking about the run. The I thought you were talking oh, about yeah. the ride. Oh man, oh, yeah. you tricked well, me. Well, oh. you're nowhere close to the record in the ride. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> You're an hour off the record in the ride. I'm, you're nine minutes <laughs> off the run record. Right, right. Okay, okay. Now I understand. Now we're on the same track. Um, no, I will never, ever be challenging that ride record. That is just insane. It's just next, next level. But um, who knows? Uh, I love Leadville, and I'd love to, to, to run it again, but there are so many amazing races, and I love to travel. So, um, yeah, who knows? who knows what the future will hold? So I'm going to put a bug in your ear right now. Okay. So what my uh, stepdaughter was in town for doing the Leadville Trail 100 was as the final event in the Leadman. Mm -hmm. You did the two hardest events (laughs) of the Leadman in a week, just sort of on a whim. You got to come back next year and just go ahead and and scorch the uh, whatever the record is. I honestly don't even know. But I mean, 
you know, an, a, a quick trail marathon, quick uh, 50 mile run on a different course in Leadville. You love the, you love the town. Why not? Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> for sure. I, the, the idea of the lead man is, uh, I love it. And you know, the difficult part of the lead man is it, it takes up a big chunk of your season. So you gotta be sure willing to sacrifice for that. Um, but certainly following, um, uh, my friend Dave Mackey, um, who had an accident a couple of years and had his lower leg amputated, um, having him watching him finish the lead man, um, oh, was yeah. super inspiring. So, uh, it's definitely planted a, even us, even a bigger bug in my head about, about coming and doing the lead man series. Yeah. He was very inspiring. I, uh, I met him briefly during the silver rush 50 ride and was just astonished and, yeah. uh, you know, by his, uh, for one thing, by how much faster he was than me uh, on every part of the course. But yeah, uh, yeah super great guy. Uh, yeah. Pleasure to meet him. Yeah, two, so, just two quick stories on Dave. Um, yeah. my, my understanding is that in the Leadman series, there's a weekend where there's a 50-mile ride and a 50-mile run. And mm-hmm. as part of the Leadman series, you choose which one you do. Um, it could be either one. And of course, Dave chose to do both the run and the ride yep. that weekend, which is amazing. And of course, he finishes it all off, um, not just by finishing uh, the Leadville 100 mile run, but by breaking 25 hours and, and earning yes. a big belt, big uh, belt buckle. Just truly, truly amazing. Yeah, Yuri. In case you don't know that, it, finishing the run under 25 hours is the running equivalent to finishing under nine mm-hmm. on the on the bike. Although, in my personal opinion, it is actually a way bigger deal to do the sub 25. I have this theory that the reason you were so fast is that you forgot to bring your lights <laughs> and were too embarrassed to tell anyone. So just needed to finish before it got dark. Any merit to that? Uh, you know, <sighs> it's true. You're pausing that, that telling you pause. <laughs> maybe, maybe I had to borrow a headlamp just in case, uh, yeah, no, it was definitely motivation to uh, to run a smart race and run fast so I could, I could finish um, uh, while there's still some uh, waning light of the day, for sure. <laughs> That's a per- That was a perfect segue, Fatty, to, you know, about planning, right, or lack thereof to sort of dig into your races a little bit, Rob, because one of the hard things, I think, for, for folks to wrap their brains around is the fact that you plan for these two monstrous events that were only a week apart. So I'm wondering if you could talk about a little bit of the planning possibly that went into, uh, you know, setting yourself up for success for both the run and the the ride. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, in some ways I'm very casual, but a lot of, uh, the ways I approach training and life. Um, but certainly when it comes down to a race, I'm, I'm really dialed in. I'm a big fan of lists. Um, uh, Christina likes to make poke fun at me for that, but I think they're, uh, hugely valuable and I sort of oh, keep, yeah. keep various lists. You know, I had my 2016 list that I could look back on and, and modify and improve. And obviously I have, have lists, have lists together for my running races as well. Uh, but I'll tell you what, it's one thing when you sort of organize things very well and pack the car on, on, on the outbound trip to Leadville. But when we got back, uh, Monday evening with, with two vehicles, cause we had, uh, two crew vehicles for my run. It's like, it, it's almost like a bomb exploded in those cars. The <laughs> amount of gear and, you know, sticky water bottles, oh, and yeah. dirty clothes. It was, it was mind blowing. Um, but yeah, I think lists can go a long way. And, um, uh, I also, you know, 
the more you can pre-plan, the more you can get done sort of in the week before you actually leave. You don't want to do it all at once, but I found when I rush too close to the race, that's when I forget things and start making mistakes. So I was probably starting to pack a week before I left for Leadville, um, you know, checking off the list. And uh, um, yeah, the, the, the day before each race, I like to get things fully dialed in so I can have um, a relaxing second half of the day. I don't, I don't like to be scrambling the night before, um, especially with, with a 4 a.m. 4 a.m. start for the run. Uh, you know, I want to be in bed about 8, hopefully asleep by 9. Um, and there's a lot of other things. You know, you get the, the, the race meeting to go to. You got to pick up your packet. Um, there's other obligations at, at various races. So the more you can pre-plan and uh, check things off the list, the earlier, uh, the better. I can attest, Fatty, that uh, his two drop bags to me, which were Ziplocs, were very well marked. I knew what was <laughs> inbound, what was outbound. It was really clear and simple. So you thank it. you, Rob. You nailed it out there. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. What I would like to do now, if if you wouldn't mind, Rob, is you know have, let Yuri and me sit back. Tell us a story of your run. Tell us tell us about the day. And we, we've talked about little pieces of this, but. You know, I, I would love to just get a sense of what was going through your head, what was going through your body, what you know, what were you eating, what were your you know, your high points, the things that really stood out. Just want to hear the story of the run. Sure, yeah, I'll ramble on for a bit here. Interrupt at any time. Um, yeah, I had a, I had a solid night's rest, if you could call that. I got about four hours of sleep. Uh, traditionally I wake up two hours before the starting line or the start of a race. So sadly that was 2 AM, uh, for the run, uh, with a 4 AM start. So I'll wake up, um, keep the routine. I'm a coffee guy. So drink a cup of coffee right off the bat. Um, you know, that's, that's a double-edged sword in terms of, you know, my hope is I can, uh, um, reap the benefits of the digestive properties of coffee before the race, um, and, and lighten my body that little bit. Um, so yeah, I'll have a shower, do some stretching. Um, uh, Christina will tell you that I, I, I like to, um, dance in my underwear to Taylor Swift and, uh, Kanye and, <laughs> and Snoop Dogg. I have a very eclectic playlist race morning. So I did a little bit of that, of course. Um, I'm trying not to visualize that, but that's rad. Oh, man. Yeah, that, that started with my very first ultra ever back in 2012. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Um, and, and I'm a terrible dancer, just just so you know. So, and then I, I do I usually do oatmeal, and these days I'm doing um, uh, just a, probably 200 calories worth of oatmeal um, about an hour before the race start. Um, arrived at the starting line, you know, it's, it, it's, it's quite an atmosphere cause you have, you know, seven, 800 runners, it's pitch dark, it's 4am. There's this, you know, there's this quiet, um, quiet, intense, but also comforting and beautiful energy just floating around that starting line. Um, you know, everybody on that starting line has sacrificed so much, put so much hard work into it. And it was all coming down to this, this one moment. Um, so it's really exciting. So the gun goes off, you run down the boulevard. Um, and you know, the first 12 miles are around turquoise Lake and it's, it's actually quite a challenging section because even though you're, you're right along the shore, it's, it's not flat running. It's sort of uh, little bumps, whoop de doos Uh, it's not great rhythm running and there's lots of rocks and roots. So just extremely focused on staying on my feet, 
um, you know, you're running with a headlamp, uh, and you already, you know, in a hundred mile race, it's all about fueling is, is, is absolutely critical. So, uh, for me, I'm, I'm fueling within the first 30 minutes and I keep that up, um, the entire hundred miles. So getting my nutrition in, getting my fueling, and then, you know, what's next? You got a big climb up power line, um, outbound is, is without a doubt, the easier direction. It's more of a long, gradual grind sun's Mm. out headlamps off. And, you know, this is the part of the race. One of my mantras is, um, um, composure, confidence, compete. And, you know, this is still the part of the race where I'm, I'm trying to be composed and patient. It's not like riding for me where, you know, that gun goes, gun goes off and I am at my near maximum effort. I feel like I'm redlining for every pedal stroke of that entire race. It's, it's such a different, um, approach to running where you need to be patient. You need to feel like you're going easy and you need to be running slower than I would normally be running in training. Um, so staying composed. I'm going to interrupt you for just a second, but I, I of course, uh, skulked around in your Strava for this run. You spent most of it in uh, zone two and three. You were in the low 140s and 150s for almost the entirety of this run, heart rate wise. So, I mean, that really bears it out. You weren't anywhere. I think you were, you went into your anaerobic threshold for like maybe half a minute. I mean, (laughs) truly a trivial amount of time. You really had a... I won't say a mellow pace, but you uh, you certainly were nowhere near the top of your uh, you know the top of your range. Yeah, it's it's a, it, it it is such a contrast to the ride, and I think it really has has come down to with the the toll that the pounding takes on your body, and mm-hmm. your muscles are breaking down um, over the length of a hundred miles. Um, so it's it's in my opinion, it's impossible to sort of redline a hundred mile running race. You're just going to crash and burn way mm-hmm. way way too early. Um, so yeah, I came into outward bound uh, aid station. Um, tied in first uh there's one other runner and i left the aid station uh, ahead of them and that was uh, for the rest of the race i was in first place just gradually uh moving ahead there's a long uh lonely uh stretch uh which i really enjoy because that's where i can really get into um a rhythm and stride hit hope pass there's weather coming in which is pretty rare to have um you know a storm roll in at, at i guess it was probably eight or nine in the morning so yeah. you know i stayed smart put a jacket on arm warmers warm hat and began the the trek up and down hope pass and i always look forward to that that section of the race even though it's the toughest um i think one of my strengths in ultra running is being a strong hiker um, I'm a big advocate of hiking during long races when, when the grade justifies it. Um, so got into a really great rhythm, strong hike up Hope Pass. Yeah. Uh, you know, you always have the, the llamas at, at the aid station just before you go over. I always look forward to seeing those llamas chilling in the grass, kind of feel like, kind of wish I was a llama in the moment, just lounging, doing, doing their thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to interrupt you for a second with another Strava factoid, which bears out once again, what your sensation was on that. Uh, you set a course record, uh, from Twin Lakes to Hope Pass. No way. By more than 10 minutes. Wow. And that was beating a course record that has stood for five years. Whew. Yeah. That, so that's pretty just, cool. That's pretty you cool. Had a, and you had and a it, very good. 
<laughs> I did. Uh, yeah. And, and I, and I hope that, you know, I think a lot of people, again, going back to the hiking, a lot of people try and keep a running stride until they're forced to go into a hike and they feel so defeated, but it's such a great tool to have in your back pocket, um, uh, for long climbs. You know, it's a great time to refuel, um, fiddle with your pack or, or anything like that. So, yeah, I got to the top of Hope Pass, and um, you know it's funny that the timing station at the very top um, was not functioning. So there was some confusion because um, after I hit the turnaround and hit Hope Pass on the way back in, that's the first time it registered me uh, being on the course. So it actually oh. um, registered as being outbound instead of inbound and all of yep. a sudden i was in 78th place so definitely yeah. uh, a, a cause for concern for my crew and, and and a lot of worry but it got sorted out relatively quickly uh so yeah and again you know really tough part of the course is is just hitting that aid station at winfield 50 miles out and turning around and knowing one you have to retrace every step you just took for 50 miles and you have to start that with the toughest, steepest climb um, heading uh, up and over Hope Pass once again. Um, so, you know, I just tried to stay calm and collected, uh, keep up on my, my nutrition. Uh, I was doing most of my nutrition came from Goo Roctane drink mix. And mm-hmm. um, probably about 30, 40% was from Goo Roctane gels. Uh, so kind of, you know, every 15, 30 minutes, um, either taking a sip from from the bottle or slamming a gel. Um, so what keeping up on that. What do you like? Um, you know, I, <laughs> I learned from uh, Western States in 2013 not to... Uh, choose or, or, or consume the, the same gel the entire time that right. year salted caramel just came out and I did the entire race on it. And I couldn't, I couldn't eat a salted caramel for over a year after that. You know, I, I created a very distinct <laughs> taste aversion to it. Oh, uh, you're making salty sad. Oh, bad. It, yeah. It, it's all good now. Yes. It's all good now. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm, I'm right. back on track with salted caramel. Yeah. But I mix it up. So this year I did a bunch of birthday cake. I did a bunch of campfire s'mores, chai latte um i didn't do any fruit ones this year i think i didn't see salt chocolate but you know i just have a bunch of gels and i tell my crew just dig your hand in there and whatever comes out that's what you put on the table go with an assortment yeah that is is a good strategy don't do the same thing over and over (laughs) yeah yeah and it's one of those examples where you know it's i'm very particular that I, i i want to have three or four gels to grab every time but not so particular that they, they need to, you know, dig in and get exact gels at every aid station. So right. um, keep that pretty casual. Um, so I got back to Twin Lakes, which is uh, mile 60. And just as I was leaving that aid station, um, there was some confusion and, and, and somebody said, runner coming. And for some reason, uh, people around me, including my crew, thought that that was a second place runner. Um, and I was really surprised because I felt like I had such a strong climb up and down, up and down hope pass that there was no way somebody could have caught me in that section. Um, so, so I remember looking at Christina and I said, uh, you know, how the heck did he catch me? Not quite with that terminology. Um, (laughs) so confused. Uh, but then, you know, it just made sense. I, I, I put the pieces together. It was a runner coming outbound instead of inbound. So, Mm -hmm. uh, a little scared there. Um, 
But then I got into that that long and lonely section, and I really got rolling. Had a couple of sub seven minute miles in there. Felt Amazing. really strong. And that's when I first started to allow myself to to, to start to daydream about breaking that tape at the end. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm very cautious about that. It, I have to. That has to come in doses. Um, you know, I allow myself to daydream, but then I get back back um, back into the moment. Um, stay focused uh, on what I'm doing at the time. And then what happened next? Uh, I saw my my pacer buck at at mile 27, which is um, sort of that alternative aid station on on pipeline. And I asked if he could pace me, and he was all in. So um, picked him up with 24 miles to go. So is that the first time you had a pacer? I've had a pacer. I I I had a pacer last last time I raced Leadville Run in 2014. No, I Um, mean this year. Yes. This is the first place on the course you had a pacer. Yes, yes. Okay. Yep, yep. And you can have a pacer from all the way from 50 miles to the finish. Right. Um, so, yeah, you have a couple miles on, on the, the paved road before you hit before you hit power line. And, you know, power line is such a tough climb. And I think hmm. um, there's two things that make it tough. It's, it's, it's long. It's really steep at the bottom. But maybe the toughest part is those false summits at the top. Oh, yeah. I even know they're. I even know they're there, and they still fool me every time. Oh yeah, um, every time. <laughs> o- only way. Only way to not be fooled by the false summits on uh, power line is to know the distance from the turnoff to uh, to the summit. Yeah, yeah, four and, miles. And um, yeah, and, and and my my strategy in races is I never ever look at my watch during a race. Oh, so really, and, oh that's that, interesting. Yeah, and that, that I'm looking at some data um, on the ride. I was looking at um, you know watts and cadence and heart rate and stuff, but no time. So you know to go back to the ride when I crossed that finish line, it wasn't until you know 20 meters before I crossed that I saw the clock that I knew I hadn't broken seven hours. I would have put men. Uh, I would have put money that I was going to break seven hours. I, I felt I was riding that strong um so same same thing in the run i never look at my watch at all um i like to go completely off of feel uh so yeah but i was looking forward to power line because again um hiking is a is a is a strength of mine and after such a long stretch of of running i was looking forward to getting back into the the hiking stride um for a decent chunk of time so had a long uh strong tiring climb up power line and then you know a solid descent down the backside and then you hit may queen for the second time you have you have 12 miles to go and uh man again that that trip around turquoise lake is is for me such a difficult part of the race especially inbound heading towards the finish line because you can see across the lake you can see the dam and that's where you need to need need to to run to, and it's a long way. It's you know five, six, maybe six or seven miles of um, not super techy, but very slow whoop de doo up and down running. You're super tired. There's roots. There's rocks. You have to stay focused, and it just seems like that dam is never gonna come. Um, <laughs> so I definitely had a, a a tough section there. Just tried to do a lot of run hike, um, alternating back and forth. And then, yeah, then from there, you got a couple miles to the boulevard. And what's cool is I had done, you know, four runs down and, you know, down and up the boulevard in the week before the race. So um, I knew exactly what to expect. And 
um, had a moderately strong finish. I was nursing a bit of a cramp in my right, right calf. So I had to, um, feather it to the finish line, but, uh, yeah. And then you hit that pavement and it's such a cruel, cruel joke having that last little climb on the pavement, um, oh, yeah. before you get up and over that hill and see the finish line. Uh, but man, when I did see that finish line and, and, and heard the crowd from a distance, it was, oh man, it was, it was magical. It's, it's, it, it's hard to put into words. I've had some, you know, really big races, uh, amazing experiences, but that my race in Leadville, um, I think is likely my most, um, gratifying race of them all. Um, especially after the, 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 the past year that I've had. I have a question being a newbie to running Rob and Pacers is I'm sure maybe some of our listeners are too. Are they just like, waiting there ready to go like i i'm having a hard time wrapping my brain around that because it's not like they're gonna about to go out on some little jog with you because i imagine the pace is pretty high so are they like warmed up and and assuming that they're gonna jump in with you and they're just waiting for the word or like it seems like you let them know that they're gonna run with you do they then put their gear on go up a few months i know this this is totally geeky but i'm like trying to understand that can you share that with us yeah well i would say most runners um are kind enough to, to let their pacers know well ahead of time, whether mm-hmm. <laughs> they'll be pacing or not. <laughs> so Buck was very, <laughs> Buck was very patient and understanding, especially when it was the night before, after he had done a 20 mile super burly run in the mountains with my wife that morning, having no idea that I was going to ask him to pace. <laughs> so, uh, Buck, Buck is a, Buck is a, is a trooper before. Um, but by that time in the race, you know, Buck is a strong runner and, uh, I was running anywhere from eight to 10 minute pace at that time. So it's, it's not a fast pace, um, for what, uh, we're used to. And, yeah. you know, he had three miles to sort of get to the next aid station and there's no need for a warm up. It's not like we we're going to take off at, at six minute pace. Um, so yeah, he just, uh, got in his running gear and, uh, just hopped right in. Leading up to our conversation right now, I posted on Facebook uh, that we were going to be talking, and a number of people had questions for you. Mind if I ask a few, a, a little bit of a lightning round of questions? Yeah, let's do it. All right. First of all, uh, Ray Landry asks, what is your number one tip for nutrition? What do you think are the key factors of uh, for for a successful nutrition in either ride or run. I know Ray is a rider, but uh, I think this applies to both. Nutrition is a corner piece of, of racing to your potential. And the longer the race, the more important that is. And sometimes it's tough to, to, you know, slam those gels or, or drink the Roctane early in a race when it's cold and um, you're you're not craving it yet. But my best advice is to start early and fuel often um, and keep that up um, all the way to the finish line. In, in your Strava for uh, the ride, as well as for a really good article uh, posted on uh, gooenergy.com, it notes that you consume around 340 calories per hour uh, in, in the ride. Is that about right for your run as well? Uh, it's a little less for the run, um, mm-hmm. but not much. Uh, I'm, I'm 250 to 350 is is my goal every hour uh, during a 100-mile race. Mm-hmm. That's a little higher than what I consume, but uh, obviously that works for you. I, I think the, the key being whatever works for you, but that is the target range, 250 to 300. Yep, for sure. Uh, so next question, how much sleep do you get each night? 
Uh, I, I'm a decent sleeper. Um, I usually like to go to bed earlier than Christina. Uh, sometimes she she uh, slaps my wrist when I when I want to crawl into bed at 8 p.m. Uh, but I would say I'm I'm laying down 9:30 to 10. Um, do a little bit of reading. Uh, so I would average mm, anywhere from seven to nine hours a night. That's uh, mm-hmm. seems to work well for me. And when I'm in my my heaviest training blocks for a, a hundred mile running race, and especially days I'm doing two workouts a day where I'll run in the morning and then do a shorter run in the evening. I find short naps in the afternoon to be hugely beneficial. And I know um, a lot of people can't fit that into their, their day. Um, uh, but even a, a short cat nap, I think, can can help um, sort of recover and, and get your mind and body ready for, for the second half of the day. You're a, you're a napper, aren't you? Uh, when I can, for sure. I'm sure. a huge proponent of naps, 20 to 30 minutes at the most. And uh, it's amazing how you can sort of snap back from that. With a uh, hyper, what is it, the chamber you guys have, your your no oxygen chamber? I would oh, think yeah. you could take a quick nap in there. You could. I've never actually napped at the office. I'm not sure I want people seeing me nap at the office. It's <laughs> Just usually say it's when for I'm recovery. Say it's part, of the, <laughs> it's part of the job. It's part yeah, of the job. It's part of my job, yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, next question. Oh, I like this one. Does your superhero cape ever get in the way? That's that's cute. Um <laughs> Because, dude, you are you are uh, in a in an unusual class. But here here is a good one, and one that I I would like to know myself. Uh, Etienne Menu uh, asks, if it is not too personal, what is your why, your inner reason that keeps you going through all the training and the racing at this level? Well, that's the million dollar question, and and one you know it's a very common question, one I don't have have the perfect answer for. Um, I've certainly learned the last few years how important not necessarily running um but being outside getting out the door whether it's riding running going for a walk with my wife um in the mountains just being outside and challenging my mind and my body um is is vitally it's almost a necessity for me to keep on keeping on in this crazy world we live in. Um, <laughs> you know, I do the vast majority of my runs alone, my training runs, and it's it's my time to sort of escape the concrete jungle and all the noise. And, you know, sometimes I, I do a ton of thinking and problem solving, and sometimes I, I, I don't think about anything at all. Um, so the why is really just uh, to keep on keep on challenging myself and continuing to be a student of life. Um, I'm, I'm so far from figuring out, figuring it all out, but, uh, I, I'm excited about the challenge of, of, uh, running and racing and navigating this world and continuing to challenging, challenge myself, um, in both my training and racing. That is a good question to end off and with, but I'm going to ask one more because <laughs> I like this one. Rohit Berry asks, do you get goo beard? <laughs> oh man! Oh man! Yeah, yes. That's a little personal. <laughs> it is a little bit, a little bit. Well, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story about um, in 2013. I ran the the Grand Canyon rim to rim to rim. Um, at the time, it was the fastest known time um, across the the canyon and back. And on on the way down, um, on the way back from the north rim to the south rim. Um, I had shorts with a, the bunch of, of goo gels in the sides and I clipped a toe and I, I did a Superman. Uh, I was running quite quick and it was downhill, did a Superman through the air and I came down on my left hip and sure enough, sure enough, if those gels hadn't been 
in my side pocket. I made it, that could have been the end of the day because I came down hard, but, but the gels sacrificed. Um, like in three, your bag. Yeah, yeah, three gels exploded. Um, and just, you know, that obviously the gel was all over the place. But I, I you know, every single calorie counted for that 42 mile across the canyon and back. There were no aid stations. I had to carry everything with me. So I got to a point, um, maybe five, 10 miles later, it was like, shit, you know, now's the time where I should be having that gel. So I just reached into that, that little pocket and I scooped up any gel that I could get out of it <laughs> in my hand. And I just stuffed it in my face and I got all over my beard and, uh, it was, it was a giant mess. Uh, so yeah, it's a uh, beard. Goo beard is a real thing. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to get real intimate with us and say you pulled the shorts off and just started sucking on the pocket, you know, that they were in. Because that could have been another ah, technique, too, it. to get it all out of there, that's, bro. Yeah, That's a great idea. I, I didn't think about that. Yeah. Hopefully, you'll never Next need to time, use that Yeah, tip. exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, so Rob, before we close, like, what's next for you? What, what do you have in store for the rest of 2018? Man, I am, uh, I'm riding this high right now. Um performing that well was was totally unexpected um i'm gonna respect the fact that you know i transported my body at 100 miles on my own two feet and uh take a, a full week of of almost no activity i've done a, 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 a i did a ride yesterday an easy ride today and you know like i said i'm gonna let let the races speak to me um I was supposed to race uh, a big race in, in South Africa last December before I got injured. Um, so that's certainly high on the list. Um, but I got a couple fun trips. I'm heading to the Grand Traverse, which is a 40-mile uh, uh, race weekend uh, that Christine is going to do. I'm just going to be hanging out, doing some social media work. Mm-hmm. And then I'm up in Quebec for another North Face engagement. Uh, but after that is my time to sort of buckle down, get back into, into serious training. And I'm imagining sometime in September, October, I'll be, uh, dialing in my racing plans for November and December. Such a pleasure having you on this podcast. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, it it was a blast. Um, hopefully we can, uh, maybe, maybe two years from now. How about that? Deal. All right. Well, with that, I think we are going to wrap this episode. If you like what we're doing here, do us a favor and subscribe, rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts. And most importantly, you guys, tell your friends, spread the word on Twitter, Facebook, and in real life. For the athletes and experts at Goo Energy, I'm Fatty. And I'm Yuri Hauswald. Thanks for listening to the Goo Energy Labs Pinnacle Podcast. Damn, that was a great episode.